The views, opinions, and comments expressed by hosts, guests, and callers of this show are not necessarily those of this station, its parent company, TeleSouth Media, its staff, management, or advertisers. Content of this broadcast cannot be duplicated or used in any way without the express written consent of TeleSouth Media Incorporated. Now, join us for Advisors Roundtable with your hosts, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus. It's professional advice for your life. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you right here on Super Talk Radio. Thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate you. And we really thank our sponsors for making this thing possible. Uh, for all these number of years. So, Bubba, uh, speaking of number of years of doing a radio show, people ever ask you why you do it? Uh, why never... do you do a radio show two or three days out of every week? And, you know, how do you come up with content? And how? why do you do that? Do you get anything out of it? So I've had people ask that question. How do you come up with the content? I say, luckily, I've got a good partner who... Who comes up with the content, right? Okay. And ninety-five percent of the time, I think I come in here completely blind as to what we're going to talk about. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, now why I don't, would you do that? I think that we do that for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think the interaction that we have between one another, you know, if you, if I go in prepared and you're prepared, then it's going to sound scripted. It sounds like a canned speech. Yeah. And we don't want that. And I can't come up with good jokes like that. <laughs> I can only come up with them, you know, off the top off of my the, head. Yeah, off the cuff. Um, so that's the way we do it, but why do you do it? Um, why we do it? So, um, number, number one, I think that individuals out there need to have, uh, information. Hmm. They need to learn. They need to have knowledge. They need to know how and understand how different things work. Right. right? Uh, which is why we call it the advisor's roundtable. Right. You know, from time to time, we'll have physicians on here. We'll mm-hmm. have insurance agents. We'll have real estate agents, mm-hmm. CPAs, mm-hmm. you know, a number of different types of advisors. Right. You know, granted, I think our show normally falls around the financial world. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, having that broad spectrum of information presented to individuals, I think, is helpful. Is it a that people don't need this, that they're an adult and they can manage their own money and then they've got this. I had, I had a, a conversation yesterday with an individual and, and she told me, she said, you know, I've got my own uh, thing going, basically meaning that she's saving money and that sort of thing. But she says, I'm ed- uneducated. I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I mean, you're, you're doing the basics right now. You're saving money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not spending more than you make. There you go. Right. And you got a little bit of an emergency fund built up. So, I mean, that's the foundation. Those are the blocks, right? Yep. 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 And then from there, she can learn specifics. She can learn Mm -hmm. about retirement plans. She can learn about estate planning. She can learn about life insurance and how much to have and all those sorts of things. But initially there's just some basic stuff that I think many times we all assume, well, I've got that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have the rest of it. Uh, the problem is that a whole lot of us don't got that. Right. We we don't have the part where we don't spend more than Mm -hmm. we make. We don't have the part where we save purposefully and with intention. Um, and so, you know, we're behind the eight ball Mm -hmm. and your friend, she's way ahead of us. Right. And we wonder 20 years down the road Mm -hmm. why she's paying cash for a car and I'm still financing Mm -hmm. one. Uh, So some of it is blocking and tackling and the basic uh, just foundational blocks. But many uh, uh, things after that 
are really nuances that you need to learn. I, I wish, uh, and, and I don't know the demographics here, but I wish that our audience of listeners were younger. Oh, really? Uh, and the reason I say that is because given a couple of principles and a couple of things early on, mm-hmm. and we've seen it time and time again, whether it be investments or, or whatever, but I mean, just getting back to the basics, right? Mm-hmm. I was talking to an individual the other day who recently graduated high school, has a, a, a job at a local manufacturing facility, okay. has $10,000 saved up. At 19 years old, awesome. has $10,000 saved up, awesome. right? Right. Which, I mean, I heard that, and my ears perked up, and I'm like, mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. You know, yeah, why, yeah. Aren't you, why aren't you teaching classes to your friends? <laughs> right. And if I can teach you a few of these nuances mm-hmm. along the way and just help you refine that knowledge and that intention, I think a, a lot of times some people are walking around with the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the intention to follow through on the knowledge. Right. They, don't, they don't have the resolve to, to finish what they know. Or, or the self-control not to go out and buy that pair of blue jeans that they don't need. Yeah, on a credit card. Right. Yeah. Um, and so one of the reasons we do this is to impart the knowledge. I think another reason we do it is to maybe throw just a little bit of motivation in there. Mm-hmm. To try to motivate yeah. you. To go from knowledge to actual engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we do that with facts. Sometimes we do that with anecdotes and stories mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. But we want to motivate you. Right. Uh, and get you on the right track. Because you're getting up every morning and going to work. And, you know, if you were independently wealthy, you may not be doing that. Mm-hmm. So we ought to uh, have something to show for those hours you're putting in. Right. Right. And all that stuff you're putting up with. Um, but I also want people to understand none of us are perfect. No, not one. Mm-hmm. Meaning that we've all made some financial blunders along mm-hmm. the way. Even those of us on the radio. Right. We've talked about this before, but off the top of your head, what's the worst financial blunder you ever made? Signing a personal guarantee Ooh. on a line of credit Ooh. for a for a uh, speculative speculative business. Uh, all right, so now that's way past just yep. the basics we talked a minute. Ago. It is. You obviously had a little money, yeah, or were in a mm-hmm. position financially to be able to sign a personal mm-hmm. guarantee yeah. and for somebody to take that as valid. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So you had gotten the part down where uh, you were not spending. I had a little money. Mm-hmm. I, I made an investment in a business. Mm. The business needed an influx of capital. The way they decided to do that was to borrow money from the bank, mm-hmm. uh, of which I, I assigned or signed a note for my personal guarantee on the money that they borrowed. Okay. The business subsequently failed, Ooh. and I was left holding the bag, so to speak, right? Without a business to yeah. bring in some cash flow mm-hmm. to help you offset it. That's right. Ooh. Now, that sounds unique, and it is, but in the brokerage world, mm-hmm. you can do that all day long, and it's called margin. Oh. So I'm- margin is basically borrowing against your securities okay. to buy more securities. Which may or may not go up in value. Which may or may not go up in value. And when they go down in value... You have to make margin calls. Which means make up Mm -hmm. and get it back to the right percentage. And if you don't have the money to make the margin call, then you need to sell all of your investment or a portion of your investment 
when it's down, not ideal, right? No. Uh, to, no. to cover that margin balance, right? Um, that you that you might have. Yeah. So uh, that was a blunder you learned, and uh, it probably didn't take oh, you. Uh, more. That was just one blunder, just right? One. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it probably didn't take you more than one or two of those, and you said, "Ain't and mm-hmm. uh, no no more of that." Right. Well, we're gonna go to break, and we come back from break. Uh, I'm gonna tell you one of my. Uh, biggest uh, flubs financially. And then we're going to talk about uh, maybe some of the major flubs we run into that people do who come into our office from the Advisors Roundtable on Supertalk. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified financial planners, Bubba Labus, and yours truly, Greg Cooley, with you right here on Super Talk Radio. So, uh, Bubba, we're talking about some of the financial uh, flubs that, that people mm-hmm. make. And, you know, you talked about yours, personal guarantee there. And then I uh, would tell about mine. Mine uh, was uh, I, 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 put a, I put a cruise on a credit card. Mm-hmm. All right. And it was a three or five day cruise. I can't remember. It was the first one that my wife and I went on like almost 40 years ago. And, um, you know, uh, it was a great cruise. We enjoyed ourselves, the whole thing. Uh, We got back. I really didn't feel like I had paid for it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the way it is when you put something on a credit card, right? right? Mm -hmm. You know, you go through and you buy that pair of jeans. You didn't have to whip out cash. You didn't have to take anything out of your bank account. You didn't see any debit come out when you use your debit card. You know, you just didn't feel like you paid for it. It's almost like you got it for free. That's the way I felt mm-hmm. about this cruise thing. You know, it was about $2,000 way back there in the mid-1980s. Yeah. And then I get home, and about three or four days later, the bill comes in the mail. And it wasn't just for the amount that the cruise cost. But while we were on the cruise, you know, they had my credit card number. Right, yeah. So, you know, if we wanted extra drinks or we wanted to go down to the casino or we wanted to see this show or... Charge it to the room. Yeah, just charge it to the room, Mm -hmm. you know. And so instead of $2,000, it was Mm $3,200. And at the time, I... Surprising, from 40 years ago, you remember that exact number. Oh, it hurts so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And you think about it. 40 years ago, $3,200. We lived it up. Right. Because that would be like 10 grand. Yep. Now. And (laughs) so, uh, you know, I didn't have $3,200 in my checking account to stroke a check and pay for it. And I had to pay for it over time Mm -hmm. with interest. And at that time, it was about 14.99999% interest. And it took year and a half mm-hmm. of really concentrating and, and putting, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. on that, which was a couple hundred dollars a month that my wife and I really wanted to stay in our savings yeah. um, and maybe be a down payment on a house. Mm-hmm. But here I was paying on a cruise. Yeah. Now, was it wrong for me to go on a cruise? I don't think so. Was it wrong for me to enjoy life? No. Was it wrong for me to have a vacation? No. But it may have been wrong for me to do it the way I did it. Right. Right? Because mm-hmm. we're not against fun. Absolutely not. Right? But it should be within reason. And by the time that $3,200 got paid off over 18 months at about 14% interest, I paid like $3,900 mm-hmm. 
on a $2,000 cruise, almost double the price because of all the other things we right. did and because of the interest and paying mm-hmm. overtime. And, and, and many people out there are listening to me and they're shaking their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's happened to me. Yeah. Now, why do I think that was a, a big financial mistake? Why well, would I be telling this story? So, so number one, how easily it can occur. Oh. Right? Oh. You had the opportunity to, to go on a cruise and enjoy uh, some time yeah. and go on vacation. Yeah. Right? Just and write down 10 or 15 uh, numbers. Yeah. It was easy to plop out that credit card. It was. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you how long ago it mm-hmm. was. Um, I had to fill out the application to go on the thing and do it, you know, by hand on a, a form and mail it in. Okay. You know, there wasn't doing anything on the, the phone. There, there, they didn't have the interwebs I back didn't then. have the internet back then. I didn't ha- we didn't have any of that. And so, you know, if we, we, we said, okay, six months from now, we want to go on this cruise. And mm-hmm. so I, I sent all that stuff in. I got a confirmation back, and a little brochure mm-hmm. from Carnival telling me how much yeah. fun we were going to have down there in the islands. And, you know, it was a great thing. So... I won't. I will not say that I was suckered in, mm-hmm. but I will say that it just seemed too easy. Right. And I think a lot of us, we think of our financial um, mistakes we've made. Sometimes it's just too dang mm-hmm. easy to get into it. That's right. So number one, you're exactly right. It was too easy for me to do it. Number two, I really didn't count the cost. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people here in Greg Cooley say this a lot. You didn't count the cost. Mm-hmm. You didn't keep up with it. Much, you liked the numbers and whatever. But it was so easy that to just charge it to the room, mm-hmm. you know, sign that bill and it goes to the room. And it, and it, was, it was not painful at all. And it crept up on us. Yeah. Right? And, and I think it can, can, uh, that can happen to anybody. So I got to looking on the web, speaking of the web, and looking around at, at other people and some of the financial mistakes they make. There's a, um, a writer, a blogger uh, that writes about personal finance out there. Her name is Sarah O'Brien. I want to give her full credit here. Mm-hmm. And Sarah talks about some of the financial mistakes that she's made, some of the personal financial uh, things that, you know, if she, if she had it to go over, she'd, she'd, she'd take all that back. Mm-hmm. One was, here's one of hers. I tried to time the stock market because I just knew where it was headed. Mm-hmm. You ever heard anybody come in and they are convinced? Yep. And I, I see that in both sides, right? How's that? When the stock market is high, mm-hmm. you know, they think that it's either, uh, you know, going further, going higher, right? Mm-hmm. Or when it's low, mm-hmm. they think that it's it's going even lower or, you know, I mean, so they I got to get out. They got to get out. Yeah. Got to get out. Right. Okay. All right. So a lot of people almost feel like they can read a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. they just get this feeling because you know, I've asked people before, why do you want to do this? Well, I got a feeling. Yeah. You got a feeling. Yep. Is it heartburn? I mean, what, mm-hmm. what, what's your feeling here? I, so I'm going to, I'm going to expound upon that a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I know that there are programs out there, radio programs, television programs, that sort of thing mm-hmm. that, uh, really scare people about the stock market. Uh-huh. All right. So I would caution people to, to be very careful about where you're getting your information from mm-hmm. and what they're actually trying to sell you. Mm-hmm. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody call me up and say, uh, you, you know, Bubba, I was listening to so-and-so on the radio or I was, you know, watching something on television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's gloom and doom. And I think, you know, we need to get completely out of the stock market or it was all good and great. And we need to get completely into the stock market. Oh, yeah. Right. I don't own enough emerging markets, Bubba. Right. Right? Yeah. We Uh, hear that sometimes. I I hear it frequently. Yeah. And it can be enticing, Mm -hmm. especially when you think you're right. Right. When you think, you know, you just got a gut feeling. Um, you know, I had a a lady in my office the other day and she was telling me a little story about that. She said that, um, she had money in a retirement account and she was just convinced that, uh, you know, there's something going to happen in the, in the market. Mm -hmm. So she took money out of her investments and just left it in the money market account. And she felt really good every day when she, you know, she'd come in and, you know, she'd look at it, and yeah, today it might go up some, but it didn't go up much. And she keeps telling herself, man, this correction is imminent. It's mm-hmm. going to go down. And then one day, you know, the market goes down 500 points. Mm-hmm. She's like, yes. But then she she didn't do anything with that information. Because mm-hmm. in the back of her mind, she kept, you know, well, there'll be another day in here. It'll go down a little more, and then I can, I, I'll find a better buying opportunity. Mm-hmm. She sat there almost two years. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in that two years, yes, she had a few down days she could have bought in. Mm-hmm. But when she looked back o- uh, over that period of 23 months, right. the market was actually higher mm-hmm. than when she had gotten out. Right. And she thought, you know what? I really, you know, I, I didn't do the right thing there. And the, the, now the question is, when do you get back in? Mm-hmm. You're going to get back in higher than you were? And you just sit and almost constantly second guess yourself. Well, and I think it gets back to the basics, right? Mm-hmm. What is your time horizon, and what are your goals? Mm-hmm. If you've got a short term time horizon, you don't need to be invested in the stock market to begin with, right? You know, yeah. If you've got a long term time horizon, you probably need to be, you know, well diversified, that sort of thing, but in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. But it's so easy to get emotional mm-hmm. associated with this and you can talk yourself into just about anything and you turn on the television or on the financial press or pick up the magazine and you know there about half the articles in there are gloom and doom mm-hmm. even when the market's cresting high sure. and so they, they can talk you mm-hmm. getting out and then you know about half the articles are trying to talk you into buying into some emerging market mm-hmm. debt right which may be something you don't even need to be associated with, but you get bitten by the greed bug. The next thing you know, you're just making all these emotional decisions and you didn't, you're not any better off yeah. than you were. So what's a dude to do? What's a person to do? Are they to, to try to time it, get in and get out? Or there, there may be a plan associated with all of this? I think with any well-constructed portfolio, uh, typically... Typically, you're going to have portfolio managers on that. Mm-hmm. Some of those managers may be active in nature, and some of them may be passive in nature. Okay. I think all of them are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? I think there's a place for both, mm-hmm. meaning that um, don't try to get cute. Don't mm-hmm. try to get fancy. Mm-hmm. Trust the process. Mm-hmm. Trust what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, 
from a probability standpoint, mm-hmm. being well invested, well diversified is going to work out well in the long run. Yeah. And a lot of that's about controlling myself, yep. isn't it? Mm-hmm. We're going to go to another break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of these um, mistakes that various of us have made over time and how maybe you can learn from it at the Advisors Roundtable. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners, Bubba Labus, and yours truly, Greg Cooley, with you right here on Super Talk Radio. So we're talking, uh, Bubba, about uh, some of the financial mistakes that we and other people that we've met, our clients, certain writers have, have made, uh, maybe to save you. Here's one. I sought investment advice on my 401k from a random coworker. All right, so this is what I find a lot of times when we, uh, because we help some companies manage their 401k. Yeah. So we go out and, you know, we're helping them sign up and, and get on the payroll deduction and that sort of thing. And, you know, especially very young people have never done this before. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like 3% of their income is that much money. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, yeah, I really don't care. Just put it somewhere. I just want the free money that my, my company is going to match me. And I it probably want to add up to much. And so they almost act like they're not that concerned, mm-hmm. like detached from it. Can it really make a difference? A- absolutely it can. So uh, getting back to the conversation that I had with a 19-year-old mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend, mm-hmm. this individual had $10,000 saved up, and he's actually participating in the 401K. Okay. And uh, all he knew is that he ought to be involved in it. That's it. Okay. Right? right. Uh, I said, well, you know, at, at some point you need to come in. We'll talk about the investment selection, all that kind of stuff, and we'll get into it. Uh, mm-hmm. But he didn't really understand how – how it worked and what having this accumulation of money does for you. Okay. So I went through the math with him and I said, based on what you're contributing, based on your current pay, et cetera, et cetera, and the match associated with the company, when you turn age 60 to 62, you're going to have over a million dollars in your plan. Really? And so uh, what he didn't realize, and Mm -hmm. and we give this word picture to individuals Mm -hmm. all the time, is you've got to think of this money, this bulk of money as a cow. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to milk it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We want to keep the cow healthy so we can continue to get the milk forever. Right. But and the what day he, you retire is the day sh- uh, yeah. this cow goes into yeah. service, right? What he thought was that you build up this money, right? Mm-hmm. And then it stops growing. And then upon retirement, you just start bleeding it down, Ooh. which sometimes many people do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But even if you retire at age 60 or 62 or 65, we've got a plan for another 20, 30 years worth of you living in retirement, right? Yeah, right. So yeah. what can happen over 20 to 30 years? Well, you need that money working for you over that time. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a good conversation with this 19-year-old uh, just getting back to the basics, right? Right. What does this money do for you? Yeah. And, you know, you pointed out mm-hmm. that he needed to be involved. Right. All right. Talk me through why a 19-year-old needs to participate in their 401k practically. What does that look like? How is that yeah. making a difference to him? That sort of thing. So, so practically, uh, th- this individual does not have a lot of overhead expenses right now. Okay. Uh, on another practical note, this is the first time that uh, most individuals, when they're young like that, have ever made any real money. Well, you know, there have been after school jobs, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, where you're probably making five, seven thousand dollars a year, not a whole lot of income, right? Right. right. 
But I mean, this individual is probably making thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a year based on hourly salary and, and promotions that uh, he may get in the future and that sort of thing, which is real money right. when you look at it. Yeah, yeah. So if- and before you start making real money and start spending that real money. Uh-huh. Why not start on the front end and say, you know what, right off the bat, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sign up for a 6% deferral because I've never had this much money before in my life. Yeah. And it's an automatic way to begin budgeting for that. All right. So let's use your number. Let's say he's making Mm -hmm. $40,000 a year and you told him that he needs to sign up for 6%. Mm -hmm. That's $2,400 a year. Right. All right. And that's about $200 a month, Mm -hmm. about $50 a week. Mm Mm-hmm. $50 $50 a week coming out of his pay. Yeah. Right off the top. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not paying tax on that 50 He's not paying tax on that. Right. And is, does his employer give him some match? They do. Yeah. Oh. So he's basically getting double that put in on an annual basis. So he puts in six, they put in six? That's right. So every week, he's putting in 50, they're putting in 50? That's right. And if it was just sitting in a money market account, yeah. that's the way it would be mm-hmm. with a little bit of interest. But if he if he invests it, then he could be making more than that over time. I I, I don't know of any other assured way to double your money, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I say assured there, right? Because it's it's mandatory that the the employer do the match on that, right? Yeah. The way the plan structure, right? Now, if you want to try to double your money and go to the casino and put it all on black, yeah. that is not assured. You know, it's not assured. So you get that mm-hmm. double, and even if the stock market went down twenty percent, mm-hmm. well, you put in fifty, they put in fifty, so there's a hundred in there, and mm-hmm. it goes down twenty. You're still into their money, still up thirty. Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. your 50 is still riding. That's right. It's still doing what? And so one practical reason for him to put the money in is because he's young and he's got time value of money for it to mm-hmm. compound over time. Secondly, it's the free money, the match. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, it's the return over time. Right. He's going to get. Fourthly, he's not going to pay tax on the money that he's mm-hmm. putting in, nor the tax that the company matches. That's right. Nor the growth. Mm-hmm. Every year. So it can compound quick. Sure it can. So we should be involved in our 401k. However, let's say you heard Greg and Bubba on the radio, and they say you need to be in that 401k, young man, and so you go in and see your human resource person after you've been there six months and say, hey, you told me at my orientation after six months I'm eligible. Greg and Bubba say I, I said I need to sign up. And so the human resource person hands you the paperwork or gives you the login to be able mm-hmm. to do it, right? Right. But then where do you put the money? Good, good question. Because inside the plan, they're probably going to have a number of investment yeah. choices, right? Luckily, with many plans today, there are what I would refer to as self-guided options. Okay. All right. So you take a little quiz. Uh, you don't mm-hmm. have to be financially astute to know what, what many of these words mean. Mm-hmm. But you take a little quiz. It gives you a, a risk tolerance or a risk scale, mm-hmm. if you will. And it gives you generally a way to invest your money or how you should invest your money. So it could Whether get, that be conservative, moderate, or aggressive. So let's say you put, picked moderate. That means mm-hmm. you're probably going to have some cash and mm-hmm. some stocks and some bonds and some international and that sort of right. thing in there, mm-hmm. right? Kind Correct. of a mixture. A mixture. All right. Um, and 
the issue that a lot of people have is none of that's guaranteed. None of it's guaranteed. Seven or eight years out of every ten, it's probably going to look pretty good, and you're mm-hmm. going to be happy. Yeah. Couple years, you're going to uh, a year like this year ooh. could look pretty ugly. Yeah. yeah. I don't want that to happen. And you could second guess yourself and say, why am I even doing this? So let's think, let's say that you're a human resource mm-hmm. lady, and I know that's sexist, and I'm sorry, yeah. it could be a human resource man, right. but the human resource professional is sitting there, and they teach you and tell you how you sign up at the end of six months. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so you do that. Let's say you're doing it at a computer screen there in the lobby outside human resources, mm-hmm. and you look up and say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to put my money. Well, this human resource person probably doesn't want to take responsibility, especially if it's a year like this year. I, I would say that the re- human resource person does not want to take responsibility I think because it opens up the to. company and uh, themselves to liability. I, I bet they've been told not mm-hmm. to. Correct. And so if, if they help you at all, they're probably going to try to put you somewhere where they know you're not going to mm-hmm. lose any money, which means they're going to stick you in the stable value money market. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to be happy because you're going to see your 50 going in and the 50 match from the, the employer. And so you're not, you don't ever lose any money. Mm-hmm. But then 10 years from now. You haven't gained a whole lot either. You probably haven't gained a lot. And you're pretty young in our scenario, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so the human resource person probably is not going to tell you a lot. Let's say you you didn't get any help from the human Jane mm-hmm. and human resources. Yeah. So you go out on the on on the the line at where you work, and you walk up to Bubba, your best friend mm-hmm. out there, and say, "Bubba, hey, give me a little bit of uh, financial advice yeah. here. Where should I put the money?" Put it all in company stock, <laughs> right? You're going to hear that. You will. Yeah? Or or you'll hear, hear this. I don't trust the stock market. Put it all in the stable value fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's a fellow to do? Uh, so, again, uh, with most 401ks, there are models out there that uh-huh. you can do. Another thing that has, has really come up about in the 401k space are target date funds. Okay, so let's say I'm 20 years old and I think I'm going to retire mm-hmm. in 30 or 40 years. Right. And this is the early 2020s, mm-hmm. so I need to pick a target date fund of 2060, 2065. Well, really? Something like that. All right. And what does that target date fund do? Yeah, tell me about it, that. It's really like autopilot mm. or the easy button, if you will. Okay. You put it in there, and over time, they're going to adjust that formula or the, the mechanics within it or the underlying investments. Mm-hmm. To match somebody that should be uh, moderate to moderately aggressive in their working career, but then scale it back and get more conservative as they get towards retirement. And they're doing all that for you. They do it all for you. That's why I call it the easy button. I'd say so. So if you don't know, you don't have anybody who knows anything, you don't really know who to trust, uh, take the test and do what comes out as the result or do the target date fund with your 401k. We come back, we're going to talk about a couple more pretty common mistakes we make with our money from the Advisors Roundtable. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you right here on Super Talk. And so, Bubba, we're uh, talking about some of the financial uh, mistakes that, that we make. You know, I made a comment the other day. I was doing a presentation, and I told them, I said, you know, a lot of you people may think that um, – if I were to talk about competition, 
that Greg Cooley's competition would be some big brokerage firm or maybe some other certified financial planner or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, maybe the, the, the deepest competition and the most significant competition I have is your brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what's wrong with the brother-in-law? What does the brother-in-law do that is competition to Cooley Labus? Uh, in, in some cases, it contradicts good advice. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So what's this brother-in-law? Now, he's probably confident. When mm-hmm. you guys are sitting around Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving yeah. feast, he's pretty confident in what he knows mm-hmm. about money, right? Sure. I never would do that. Mm-hmm. I never put my money in the stock market. I never, ever mm-hmm. do this with debt. I never have done such a mm-hmm. Right? Right. Now, when somebody's confident, does that sometimes tempt you and give you confidence? It does. But I heard somebody make a statement a guy about a guy who used to be a football coach, and they said he was not always right, but he was never unconfident mm-hmm. all right when he called a play he act like he knew that play was gonna mm-hmm. you know and when he decided this and w- yep. when he made that decision he he just came across like he knew what he was talking about sometimes that rallied the troops and it was a self-fulfilling mm-hmm. uh prophecy and it was a great thing right but none of us are always right mm-hmm. right and sometimes the brother-in-law really doesn't know what he's talking about so what are some of the points that cause you and me to roll our eyes when we hear that somebody listens to the brother-in-law? What are two or three things that this brother-in-law, the proverbial brother-in-law, consistently gets wrong? Well, it, it gets back to what I said earlier in the show, right, about where are you gathering your, gathering your information, mm-hmm. whether that be from a news source, whether it be from a brother-in-law, whether it be from a, a television show, Mm-hmm. A, an article or a book that you've read, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it good information? A certain network, or is it biased information, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it's good information, then it's going to be uh, inclusive of a number of different things. If it's uh, biased information, mm-hmm. I said I would say that it's going to slant towards one direction or the other. Right, right. So this brother-in-law, I consistently see him being. Uh, wrong, but listened to mm-hmm. related to investment advice. Right. The other thing that I hear or watch people um, be attracted by and sometimes affected by related to the brother-in-law is the use of debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's one that happened last week when I was having a conversation with somebody. They told me they're getting ready to sell the mother-in-law's house. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is a guy, he and his wife inherited 50% of the mother-in-law's house. Mm -hmm. The other 50% is inherited by whom? The brother-in-law and his wife. Mm -hmm. So this guy is telling me what the brother-in-law said. And the brother-in-law said, we just need to sell the house as is. Now, what's the issue with selling a house as is? You're not going to get top dollar for that, that house. Probably not. Yep. You know, you could probably go in there and spend a little money here and spruce up something there and maybe get a little more. You sell the thing as is, and Phil give you Mm -hmm. a call after two weeks and say, hey, I bought this thing, 
And did you know such and such was broken? I, I would say that most individuals want to buy a house that's move-in ready. I don't really fall in that camp because it seems like every house I've bought needed a lot of work done to it. Right. Yeah, me too. But the work that uh, that we've done to it has been taught to my own specifications, right? So I was ready and prepared for that. But right. most individuals, when they move into a house, they don't want to do a thing. Mm-hmm. They want to move their furniture in, and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully a year or two later, they get everything unpacked out of boxes, mm-hmm. and and you know, they're off to the races you know, living in their home, mm-hmm. but with a little bit of work, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe freshening up, repainting some things, maybe touching up some flooring, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of minor cosmetic things, right. Mm-hmm. That could probably have a profound effect on the eventual sales price of that home. Yeah. But you know what you're talking about? Time, time, work, effort, a little, a little money. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put any money in my mother-in-law's right. house, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'm going to get half of what the proceeds are, but yeah. I, man, I'd just rather have this thing mm-hmm. over and done with and move on and right. let me go back home. And time is precious these mm-hmm. days, isn't it? It is. You can understand why the brother-in-law would say that. Mm-hmm. Now, what I saw is the third-party disinterested, just looking at this conversation here, was the fact that the brother-in-law lives out of town. This client of mine lives in town mm-hmm. where the mother-in-law's house is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the brother-in-law is like, let's just sell it as is. You just send me a check for whatever 50% mm-hmm. of it is, and I'll get out of here. And the the, the, the guy I know is going to have to deal with the realtor mm-hmm. and have to deal with the showings and go to the closing and all this other stuff. And the other dude's going to get just as much money. That's right. Because that's the way the will read. Mm-hmm. And so this as-is thing may be something you need to, mm-hmm. to, to think about. Let's flip it and go on the other side of the thing. Would you ever buy a house as-is? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bought houses. Because you went in. And With the understanding and knowledge, knowing cr- that. Crawled I'm, under it yep. yourself, mm-hmm. went in the attic yourself, or mm-hmm. took a, a home inspector or somebody well, who knew what I've they had were home doing. inspectors. Yeah, yeah. And let them yeah. do it, mm-hmm. right? And right. let them come back and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, this is leaking yeah. and that needs to be replaced. Mm-hmm. But you've done it. But if you if you have a good understanding of the the issues with the home mm-hmm. going into it, then mm-hmm. you can come up with a budget and know, hey, you know what? Based on what I know that I'm going to do to this house and what I'm going to fix, I think this is a fair price, or mm-hmm. this is what I want to offer. Right. Um, and from your point of view, as a buyer mm-hmm. of an as-is thing, it's not that bad if you go in with your eyes wide open. Sure. However, if you're one of those people, as you just said, uh, they want to move in and they don't want to have to do a lot of work Mm -hmm. and spend a lot of money, if they make that person makes an Mm as-is deal, they're probably not going to be happy. Right. Because just about every home needs some maintenance. Mm -hmm. I mean, today, they've got a crew working at the White House. They have one there every day. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. And so just about everything's yeah. going to need a little bit of updating. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would I would double think before my brother-in-law convinced me into mm-hmm. doing an as-is thing. Last uh, mistake that I see people make um, is the purchase of an automobile. Mm-hmm. Now, how do most people purchase an automobile? Um... They drive on a lot. Yeah, and they see something that they like, 
probably get in it and take it for a test drive. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder what their payment is going to be. Okay. And their payment may, let's say that they want a payment that's going to be $500 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay. The, the salesman says, we can accomplish that. No problem. You mm-hmm. know, we'll just stretch it out to 96 months. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so that's the way we made it. Mm-hmm. We made the car payment uh, or the car uh, purchase decision uh, based on the payment. Mm-hmm. We made it based on how we felt the day we went. We made maybe even the new car smell, mm-hmm. maybe how nice the salesperson was. And did I really go in with a list of needs? Not maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. Did I really go in with a, a total purchase price in mind, or was it just important that it fit my monthly mm-hmm. payment thing? Because if you take $500 and do it times 96 months, that's eight years, mm-hmm. right? Am I going to like this car eight years worth of payments? I, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. What about my resale value? What's it going to cost to insure it? What about a new tag? Yeah. You bought a new tag lately? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of these are considerations of buying a car yeah. over and above emotion. Mm-hmm. saw a, a statistic yesterday when I was preparing for this show that said that the average American, when they buy a car, three years later say that emotion was a majority of the reason they bought that car. Mm-hmm. Not what they needed, not wheelbase, not horsepower, not features. They're just in the mood. Sure. Maybe their neighbor had gotten one. Maybe their wife had been telling them they needed a bigger mm-hmm. ride, whatever. But it was emotion. So I hope you don't make a lot of these financial mistakes along the way as you do the adulting thing here. And we'll help you from the Advisors Roundtable, Super Talk Radio. discussion and content expressed by the host of the Advisors Roundtable are intended to be received as news, educational, and entertainment or unit items and are not to be accepted by the listener as legal, investment, insurance, or tax advice. Opinions and views will be expressed by guests of the Advisors Roundtable and those opinions and views are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Advisors Roundtable host or any of its affiliated radio stations. All information provided is educational in nature and is not intended to be acted upon without first consulting the appropriately licensed professional of your choosing. Before acting upon any information obtained during an Advisors Roundtable broadcast, an individual should understand matters are extremely tax-specific and require advice tailored to individual facts and needs. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Andrew Labus are registered representatives of S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Securities offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Ignite Planners, LLC. Ignite Planners, LLC is not affiliated with S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Mm-hmm. 